Amen and amen and amen. Church, I want to first welcome you to our Thursday evening service and especially tonight on what is the National Day of Prayer. And I realize some of you have been joining in maybe with some of the national uh, prayer events that have been going on throughout the day. There have been several that have held, been held today and I spent uh, the better part of an hour on a conference call today with the Los Angeles Department of Public Health and got informed of all the things that are going on. And so I have some good news to start with tonight, and that is that uh, tomorrow we begin phase two here in Los Angeles County, and that uh, means that things like golf courses are going to open back up and beaches and hiking trails and uh, some essential health care, elective surgeries, those types of things. Uh, lots of our outdoor recreation will be open, our libraries, some museums, cultural centers, galleries. Uh, there will be some retailers, florists, car dealerships selling cars, those types of things, uh, with some social distancing, some limitations, of course. And so we're entering phase two of what the governor has announced as a five-stage plan. And uh, we've been told that perhaps by the end of the month we'll be in stage three, and stage three is actually where the churches fit. So uh, we believe within the next few weeks that the governor will announce and Los Angeles County would follow along uh, that we'll be able to come together again here in the sanctuary in a fairly short period of time. And the reason I want to speak to you tonight and I want to share with you uh, from the Bible what the Bible says uh, is that people have asked me over and over again, why are we doing what we're doing? And consequently, a subsequent question, which is why are we not doing what the people in Modoc County uh, here in California? For those of you that don't know where that is, it's a long ways north of here. Uh, it's one of the most desolate places in our state that's not actually technically a desert. Uh, and it is inhabited by about 9,000 people in the entire county. And some churches there that have 15 to 20 people are choosing to gather together this week to hold services. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that here in Calvary Chapel, uh, we are not a monolithic organization. We're not a denomination. And every one of our Calvary chapels is individually governed by a board of directors. And a pastor normally sits as the president of that corporation. That is certainly true here. And so socioeconomically, geographically, and in a sense of where we minister, not only are all Calvary chapels very different, uh, we are also self-governed. And so we as a board here in this church have to decide uh, to hear from the Lord what is best for us. And we believe we have done that. And I want to share with you the biblical basis for why we are choosing to follow the governor's orders, and we are not going to follow what other churches might be doing. Uh, if you're in Maine, perhaps it might make some sense uh, for you in a church of 100 people to hold the second service and, and thereby be able to minister to your entire body. But in a church of our size, which in, in terms of our modern era, this church is a gigachurch. Uh, we have perhaps 10,000 people that call this church home. And because of that, we have some very unique dynamics that are going to come into play when we try and meet together. 
we couldn't hold enough services with social distancing on a single Sunday to get everybody back together. And so uh, we'd have to start at, at dawn and go till dusk in order to even attempt to cause that to come to pass. And so why are we doing what we are doing? And why is it that Calvary Chapel South Bay is choosing to do something different than say uh, Calvary Chapel in Modoc or maybe Calvary Chapel in Maine in Bangor might be doing? Could it be that the church is being used exactly where we're at individually to accomplish the purposes of the Lord in our individual ways and in our individual moments in time, could we be, uh, as, as was in the case of Esther, in the book of Esther, who knows whether we have come there in chapter four to the kingdom for such a time as this? Is this our moment to be who God's called us to be individually? I believe it is. And I will tell you, this has been a painfully difficult time for us as church leadership. Uh, this has been extremely difficult to discern. And I can't say that we've done it perfectly, but we have done our best. And, and to that end, I want to share with you a, a little of what that struggle has been like. I have received hundreds, literally hundreds of emails from people in varying degrees, and I want to share with you the complexity of what our government faces in trying to make the decision as to what to do. You may be home right now, and you're perfectly fine. You had a nest egg, maybe you have a job that's able to continue to pay you. You may be home tonight, and you're in an apartment with six kids, and you're not sure exactly where your next paycheck is going to come from. You haven't gotten that government stimulus money and everything in between. But I can tell you that I have received emails that have said things like, when are you going to stand up to this evil United States government or this evil state of California? When are you going to stop being a stooge for Governor Newsom, who is obviously of the devil? When are you going to rebel against his demonic orders? And these are nearly direct quotes from some of those emails. Pastor Jeff, you're being used by the devil right now to keep the church from meeting. When will you stand up for our constitutional rights? When are you going to be brave enough to defy the federal government? and get us to return to the church building so we can meet. Why are you not doing what the word plainly says we are supposed to be doing? Are you as a pastor ever going to get a backbone and stand up for what is right? Are you going to, willing to be willing to be arrested so that we can have church? What would Paul do if he were in your position? Well, what about the 14th Amendment, equal protection under the law? What about the First Amendment, the establishment of religion clause or the right for people to peaceably assemble? Pastor Jeff, what are you and the church board gonna do about all of these things? Now I say that to shame no one. And those are legitimate questions. They came from a heart of people who want to know. And I want to answer that question. And I'm going to do so in the next 20 minutes 
and I pray I can do it with some condensation. I pray I can do it with love, with care and concern for those of you who have asked legitimate questions, why are we doing what we're doing the way we're doing it? And why are we not consequently then doing something different like starting a rebellion uh, and having church and nobody wears a mask and we all come through the doors and pretend like we don't have an epidemic? Let me be candid and let me be honest. There's probably reasons uh, that we could take some of those paths. And there are probably people who would rejoice if we did so. There are also people who would completely freak out, would probably not come back to church if we did, and they would be on the opposite side uh, of some of those viewpoints that I just listed. But why are we, why is Calvary Chapel South Bay doing what we're doing? That's the question. Let me give you the short answer first because we in this church stand on and exclusively on the authority of scripture. And so we're going to look to the Bible as to the clearest direction that we can possibly have for why we're doing what we are doing. That is the place that we stand. And I would expect you to understand this because I know that we have been taught the word in this church for decades. We have a history of standing on the word of God. And so I ask you a question, why would you believe me about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourself, it's a gift of God, paraphrasing. Why would you believe me on the sanctity of biblical marriage? Why would you believe that those things come directly from the Bible, that's the reason we believe them, and why would we not also then believe what scripture plainly declares, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man, the woman of God, might be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, church, we can't cherry pick what we believe in the Bible. We, we can't just simply make it say what we want it to say because we have a particular bent about how we want this to go. This is an epidemic, this is a pandemic, this is a catastrophe that this nation has never seen of this type and it requires that we return to our foundation which is the word of God. Nobody has the right to say that they got a personal word from the Lord that we can just not include in our thinking what the Bible plainly says. If I am a believer, if I'm a pastor and I'm going to teach you authoritative and, and speak to the word of God authoritatively, then I have to return to the word of God when the word of God speaks plainly to a situation, that is my opinion. Peter writing the church, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 through 21, he said, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, when God's word speaks prophetically, which it does in our present day and time to those things which it has spoken of in times past, we do well to heed it as a light that shines in the dark place. Until the day dawns, the morning star arises in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, what the Bible says, it says to all. It says it to me, it says it to every pastor, it says it to every believer, and it even says it to those who don't necessarily believe it yet, 
but are receiving it now, maybe for the first time. Why am I saying this? Well, let me be clear. This pandemic that we are facing and all of the things that are going on because of it have lots of different subtleties and nuances. And not one person watching this, nor do I myself claim to have all of the answers. This is not a problem of the church being persecuted solely and uniquely. Every church has gotten the same orders. Every mosque, every synagogue, every new age place of worship, every car dealership. We're, we're all in this together. There is no uniqueness to the church being singled out and said, hey, the church can't meet. So this isn't an issue of us not being able to preach the gospel. And in fact, I will tell you that our online audience in this church has grown more than 10 times what we normally see watching online. Last week, we had 27,000 connections to our online services in a single week. Our normal is four or 5,000. That, that would be a normal. And so we are reaching more people during this pandemic through this modern technology that we've been utilizing than we were previously. So it's not about not preaching the gospel, it's not about not teaching the word, and it's not about gathering. For wherever two or more are gathered in the name of the Lord, he's there in the midst, so you in your homes, us here with the tech team, all of us are still the church as we were before we stopped meeting. So what we're missing is only a representation of the things that God would normally have us do, but he has asked us through our government to change the way we do that. Again, let me be clear, I'm sick to death of this shelter-in-place order. I don't like it. I wish it were not so. And I am the first one to tell you that I don't like teaching to a camera. But I am here to tell you that I think for right now, this is the best way that we can reach the most people during this time of many different ilks. You see, people want to make this about the existence of the church, and it is simply not about the existence of the church. The church still exists. The church is still preaching the gospel. The church is still meeting. We're doing it in a virtual way. What this is about actually is politics. This is about safety. It's about virology. It's about immunology. It's about science. It's about, for some people, patriotism. For others, it's about economics. Soon it's going to be about economics for many, if not all of us. For some, it's about sanity. There, there are many different subtle arguments, but it is not about just simply the church not being able to gather together in a building because this building is not the church. The church is God's people gathered wherever we are. And let me remind you that our governing officials, whom I'm going to have the privilege of praying for once I get done teaching a little bit, many of them do not know the Lord. Some do, some don't. But I have to keep that in view before I criticize them because the Bible says I'm supposed to pray for even those who persecute me. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, if you just love people who love you back, what is that of you? What is that to you? We, we've been commanded by Jesus to do good to those who even persecute us. 
So I think the church is missing an opportunity when we carry this rebellion thing too terribly far because the world's looking at it and goes, doesn't your Bible say? And they're right, the Bible does say that we're supposed to do good to those, even those who spitefully use us and persecute us for his name's sake. And so what should the church's response be at this point in time? How should we be acting? I believe that it is a path that we have embarked on here in this church. And that is one of submission to the governing authorities that God has placed over us. And I'm going to make that case to you. And the most powerful example of that is the Lord Jesus himself. He was brutally persecuted by Rome. He will ultimately be put to death because of the Roman power structure in Jerusalem. And yet it was Jesus himself in Matthew 22, verse 15 to 22, saying this. As the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, he then sent them to the, his disciples to the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God in truth. Or do you care about anyone or do you regard any person of men? Tell us, therefore, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived where they were going, and he said to them, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. They brought him a denarius, a day's wage, and he says, Whose inscription is this? And he said to them, Therefore, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." And when they heard those words, they walked away dumbfounded. That's the Jeff Gill paraphrase. In other words, Jesus said, you silly guys, just pay the taxes, we have bigger fish to fry. We have something else that we've been called to do. Look, culture and Christianity have been at a battle forever. But my goal is to teach and preach people who don't know the Lord and to teach people who do know the Lord the word of God. I want to be able to do that when this is done. And so when you think of it from that perspective, you may still come up with the question, well, you know, why don't we just rebel and rise up and get back to church? That would be well and good, except for the Bible doesn't teach we should do that. The Bible teaches exactly the opposite, and it does so with the three greatest voices in all of Scripture. That would be the Lord Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Peter. They all say the same thing. And remember, this is not a discussion about the merits of peaceful protest. Let me look you right in the eye through the television or through your device and tell you if you want to go to a protest and let your voice be heard, in Jesus' name do that. Do so peacefully. And if you're asked to disperse, disperse. If you want to write your governor, write your governor. If you want to send him an email, send him an email. You want to write the president, send him an email. Tell him how you think. Let him know that you want to come back to church. If you want to stand on a street corner and hold a picket sign, please do that. Say, I want to go back to church. Nothing wrong whatsoever. If you feel like as an individual, you need to take care of your family and there's something that God puts on your heart, I am not excluding you from being able to make those decisions. But I think the Bible, as far as the church is concerned, is spoken to by the Lord Jesus, by the Apostle Paul and Peter. So what about civil disobedience? Let me put a case to you 
and it's a biblical case that you can all look up. You can read all of these passages later. It's found in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, most of you know that Paul was a Roman. He actually appeals to Rome as he's sentenced to death. He says, look, I'm a Roman. You have to treat me as a Roman. So Paul was a Roman. In AD 54 to AD 68, the emperor of Rome was Nero, or better known as Clausius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, a despot, a madman, an insane madman, so much so that the Roman senator and historian Tacticus says, to get rid of the report that he started the fire that burned down Rome, Nero fashioned the guilt of the inflicted on these most exquisite tortures that he placed upon a certain group of people known to the world as Christians. Paul lived in that world. Paul wrote a letter to that group of Christians, the Christians that were being blamed for the burning of Rome. That's where Paul wrote the letter that we call the book of Romans. And to them in Romans 13, he says this in verses one through seven, let every person be in subjugation to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is from God, and they exist and are established by God, and therefore whoever resists the authority has opposed an ordinance of God. For they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. In other words, if you go against them, it actually condemns you. And furthermore, for the rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have fear of authority? Do what is good and you'll have praise from the same. For they are a minister of God's good for you. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For they do not bear the sword in vain for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath, and the one who practices evil. And therefore it's necessary to be in subjugation, not only because of wrath, but because of conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God. This is writing about Rome. This is writing about Nero. This is not writing about our democratic form of government that has three branches. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom customs due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. Even under the reign of the ruthless emperor Nero, Paul says, be subject to the governing authorities. Secondarily to that, Peter writes exactly the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. So both Peter and Paul's teaching bring us to the conclusion that they were not big on civil disobedience. And in fact, Jesus, Peter, and Paul all taught that we should subject ourselves to the governing authority and furthermore, that we should pray for them. There are three basic views in our world of civil disobedience. The anarchist view says that a person can just choose to disobey the government anytime they want to. We have some of that going on. The extremist patriot view says that everybody should do everything they can to preserve the country, no matter what the command is. An example of that would be the Nazis during the Nuremberg trials appealing to the fact that they were given orders by their superiors to murder the Jewish people. 
I'm kind of thinking that's not a good idea because that is plain evil. And we're not to, to give in to that type of evil, but we haven't been asked to do evil. We've been simply asked to alter the way we do church services. We're still doing them. We're still worshiping the Lord. You see, the position of Scripture of Jesus, Paul, and Peter is biblical submission. Unless the government commands us to do evil. Where does that come in? The moment this pastor is asked, forced to perform a wedding between two men, they're going to have to arrest me. Why? Because the Bible calls that sinful. It calls it evil. I can't engage in it. But to alter a church service so that it's online instead of in person for a period of time that is temporary is not the same thing as being asked to steal, to lie, to cheat, to commit adultery. And if you go through the Old Testament especially, the life of Pharaoh, the life of Joshua, the life of Samuel, the life of King Saul, you can see all kinds of times when people protested various things. You can see in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas are finally thrown in the slammer. When Peter is, is commanded to not teach about Jesus, what did he do? He said, well, I can't do that. But church, we have not been commanded to not teach about Jesus. We've simply been asked to alter the way we do church for a period of time so that other people who are weak might be well. Now, why is that important? Because the same letter that Paul writes those words to in Romans chapter 13 says this in Romans chapter 15, same book, same group of people. Verse one and through three, Romans 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, Jesus took the stripes for those who were guilty. Now, I may not like what's going on. I'll tell you, I don't like what's going on. I don't even agree with some of the reasoning. I'm not sure I even believe all the science. But I do know that most of those people, because I've talked to them who are trying to make these decisions, are agonizing over them, even if you didn't vote for them or elect them. I know that those people are trying to do their very best. I know that people are dying. If you don't believe that, read what's going on in Sweden right now, who chose to not socially isolate, but instead threw those laws out the window and decided to just go ahead and go on with business as usual. They have a horrid pandemic that has broken out in Sweden. And they had more people die in the last week than we have had in this state during the whole pandemic. So there is some science behind some of this. Now, whether it's totally accurate, partially accurate, whether it's inflated, conflated, whatever you think may have happened to it, the bottom line is, People whom we elected to power, maybe not you, maybe not me, but we have a democratic representative form of government where we all get a vote. And by those rules, those people were put in power. Your Bible says God then established them in power. He's using them 
to protect us. And we owe it to them to give them a chance to work these things out. Is this a monumental disaster, which we will probably see some ramifications for a decade or more? Yes, it is. It is. But that doesn't mean that our God got small all of a sudden. It doesn't mean that our Savior is any less the King of Kings or Lord of Lords. And so we need to grow up a little bit here and recognize exactly how good we have it in this country. We are blessed more than any other nation on the face of the earth. And, and we should really take stock in this time to see what the Lord could do with this in a Jeremiah 29, 11 moment. For I know the thoughts towards you, says the Lord, that I have, and they are good. They're not for evil. And they contain for you, Jeff, and for Calvary Chapel South Bay and every other person who names the name of Christ, there are plans to prosper you. God has a plan during this time. And so what conclusions can we draw from this before I pray for our government? Civil disobedience has almost zero support in Scripture. And the only support that you really find is in the Old Testament during the life of the children of Israel. And it is always for biblical reasons, biblical grounds that are clearly defined. So Christians can and should resist any governmental regulation that clearly compels us to evil or clearly compels us to go against the plain teaching of Scripture. You cannot quote Hebrews chapter 10 and say that we shouldn't forsake the gathering together of the saints and say that that applies to our situation. It doesn't because we are not being compelled to not meet ever. We're being compelled to meet differently. And that's all. We're being told to hang on tight and let our scientists work out a cure for this virus. We're not in direct violation of God's laws. And for people to quote things like the Great Commission and say that's the reason you're going to violate these laws, that's thin exegetical ice. It is non-existent exegetical ice. I'm not being prevented from preaching the gospel. I've shared the gospel with people on my street that I never ever met before because now I actually bump into them. We have had Many, many, many people come to faith in Christ by watching online services. We're still sending the gospel out around the globe. There are tens of thousands of people connecting with us online. It would be good for us to remember that some restrictions are not the equivalent to a total prohibition. That temporary and permanent are not the same thing. And so be careful, church, because we've been told to be patient, for patience, when it has its perfect work, leaves us complete. This is a time for patient perseverance and powerful prayer. This is not a time for us to act up as we get close to the end. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, first of all, I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving made, be made on behalf of all men. They're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, for kings and all who are in authority, that we might lead a tranquil 
and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. In other words, they're part of the path to us being able to do what God's called us to do. This is not how we should act simply because we're having to do church differently. We don't need to take the the giant steps of doing things that might possibly endanger someone's life. Look, we have tens of thousands of people that are watching online and at the same time, when we gather together, we might have six, eight, ten thousand people in the facility on a given Sunday. All it takes is one infected person in that environment, in a crowded environment, we could start the next outbreak. And so while they're figuring these things out, and I'm not saying that there won't come a point in time when the government itself is going to have to go, look, we've just done our best and we're going to get back to business. I think that day is coming sooner rather than later. Our government knows that. Our governor knows that. And if you watched him, the poor man is very haggard. And I think we do a disservice to him by not simply acknowledging the difficulty with which it is to govern anywhere right now, no matter what the size is. What I don't want to have happen is the day come when we can no longer preach the gospel, when we can no longer teach God's word, when churches are shuttered because we're deemed to be Uh, some type of menace to society as the church was during Roman times. We haven't had that happen. Instead, we can make our intercession, as Paul would write to Timothy there in 1 Timothy 2, in the remaining part of that that second chapter. It's good, our intercession is, it's good in the sight of the Lord who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, that was the goal of the prayer is to make sure they're saved. And so the shortest path to this being over is going to be our prayer lives. It's not going to be our protests. It's going to be pounding on heaven's door. That's why Paul would finish the latter part of Romans 13, knowing it is high time to awake out of that sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, and we need to put on the armor of light and walk properly. Make no provision for the flesh to do what is good. And so church, brothers and sisters, let's continue to be patient. Write your congressman, write your senator, write your president. Take some of that time that maybe you have that you didn't have and spend some time getting to know how our government works. Make your voice known. Attend a peaceful protest. Now go enjoy the beaches, which are going to open up a little bit. Golf courses are opening up a little bit. If you enjoy golf, you might have to wear a mask. But people in Syria who were bombed with mustard gas would probably be pretty happy to be out playing golf with a mask on. Our brothers and sisters who are dying in the Kurdish regions of Iraq because of their faith would love to go to the beach with a mask on. Our brothers and sisters in Iran who pay for their faith with their life would love to have to have lukewarm food from Grubhub. So let's keep this in perspective tonight. And let's engage now in a battle where it's really gonna do some good. And that is a battle in prayer in heaven. Church, would you join me and let's pray. I'm gonna pray for our government the branches of it, our state, 
and some pastors are going to join me on the platform, and we're going to pray through uh, all these things that I think are burdening our hearts tonight. We're going to spend the next half hour doing that. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we come to you on behalf of our president. And Lord, maybe some of us are struggling even saying that the office of the president, maybe they didn't vote for him or maybe they don't like what he's doing, but Lord, your word says that he is our president and we are to pray for him, to make entreaties for him. And so we pray for President Trump tonight. God, would you give him wisdom that is from heaven? Would you protect his family? Lord, would you watch over his cabinet and his staff? Lord, they have been working around the clock, Lord, to try and find solutions. We pray for the cabinet that's around him that's watching over this situation, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke. Lord, whether we agree with their assessments or not, whether we have medical training or not, God, they are doing the hard work and tonight they need your help. Oh God, give them wisdom. Lord, would you break through? Would you cause, God, them to understand things they don't know in their own mind? Lord, as court cases come up, we pray for our Supreme Court, for Chief Justice Roberts, that you'd give him right judgment and true justice and righteousness. Father, we lift him before you and that court before you and all of the courts that fall below, Lord, every single appellate court, uh, the regional superior courts of our counties, God, these men and women who must make these decisions, Lord, that affect others' lives. God, would you grant from heaven peace in their hearts, wisdom in their minds. God, would you give them what they need to rule over us so that we might have a civil government, that we wouldn't have anarchy, that chaos wouldn't reign. Lord, this is difficult. We pray for the World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. God, we just lift up these people who are governing what other doctors do. Lord, for those that are making the decisions at the highest level, God, we ask that you would spare them from all of the things that are going on, that uh, they're being condemned right and left, their families are being threatened. Lord, protect them and keep them. We pray for our Congress and our Senate. Lord, we all of our congressmen in this state, we have more than 50 of them that represent the state of California. We are the largest by population uh, state in this country, Lord, and we're, we're the ninth largest economy in the world. And so we cry out to you for Senator Boxer and Senator Harris, Lord, we would ask that you would speak into their lives. Lord, we, we don't know if they know you. I don't know, but God, you do. And so we pray that salvation would come to these people, Lord, if they've wandered this earth and they're lost, God, in their trespasses and sins, would you save them? And so, God, we cry out to you for our state representatives and our House of Representatives in the state. Lord, we, we pray for Speaker Pelosi, God, who, who rules over the House of Representatives in, in our, our Congress. Lord, we pray for those senators and the decisions they'll make and our representatives, the decisions they'll make. Lord, only you can straighten this stuff out. God, we've spent money that belongs to our children's children already. And we need wisdom. 
They need wisdom to, to know how to reignite this economy and bring us back online, Lord, to start the engines up and when that should happen and how that should happen. And so God, we, we ask, it's affecting business owners. People in this church who own businesses are losing their businesses. Lord, we cry out to you, you can save them. We can't, but you can. And so Lord, as we pray for our leaders, we ask that America would be a place that falls on its knees, that our leaders would acknowledge that these truths that we've read tonight from your word are actually true, that you've appointed them, you've allowed them to be in office, whether you directly put them in office or, or whether you're using them permissively. God, we, we pray that each one of them would take their right place on the wall we pray that not one bill would be passed that's against anything that you desire. We pray that in all of these decisions that what happens going forward would tell the world about you. Would you visit them with great power and with great authority? We cry out to you, not just today, not just on this National Day of Prayer, but tomorrow we cry out to you and the next day and every day we, we ask you to visit your church and endue us with power that we would fall on our face, Lord, as we think of our leaders, would we remember that, that we owe them a debt of gratitude during this time? We may not feel that way tonight, but they're taking bullets for us, or they're making decisions that they know are keep, they're keeping them up at night. And so we ask that you would be with them, Lord, and that you would heal our land. God, we need you like we have not ever needed you. And so we lift our government in all of its various forms to you. Lord, here in our own county, Los Angeles County, God, we pray for Mayor Garcetti and the city council, the public health department, the doctors that I was on the phone with today. Lord, I can't even remember their names. There's so many people I've met that I have never met before. And Lord, I just pray we pray together that you would take this time and that it would cause a miraculous work of your spirit to be done in this nation. We need revival, Lord, and perhaps bringing us to our knees is the one way that can happen. Lord, we used to send missionaries and now we have missionaries coming. And so Lord, ignite a fire, bring us peace, Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. And God's people all said, amen. We're going to worship, and then we're going to have another time of prayer. And so let's turn our attention. Pastor Rob will be with us next.
And so, Lord, you're the God of the impossible. Lord, you're the God who has all this under control. And, Lord, we are praying in Jesus' name to you. And, Lord, we know that you love these people. We know, Lord, that you sent your son for these people, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he shed his blood, that they might come to know you, that they might be that thief on the cross whom you, Jesus, said to today, you will be with me in paradise. And, Lord, we know that today could be the day that you come. But, Lord, before that happens, God, we are crying out that you would have mercy, that, Lord, you would save thousands upon thousands and millions and millions of people, Lord. And then, yes, Lord, come and rapture the church. Take us home to be with you forever. But, Lord, before that day, God, we are asking again, humbly, Lord, at your throne, crying out, have mercy, save, 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 we pray all those who call upon the name of the Lord. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's men and women said, amen, amen, amen. Let's sing another song. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. Breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. I live for you alone, every breath that I take. scripture from Psalms 57. It's one that has brought a lot of comfort, hope as we pray for this nation. Again, first to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then to experience the things of the Spirit and healing, uh, healing our land, healing people from sickness, disease. But David says there in Psalms 57, he says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. He says, I cry out to God, most high to God, who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me and save me. And I love that. Again, David said, I'm going to hide myself under the, the shadow of your wings. I'm going to take refuge in you until these calamities be passed by, until this storm, the coronavirus is, is all over. And yet it's, it's in him we make our refuge. It's in the shadow of his wings that we are to, to rest in and not fear. We cry out and he's the one who saves us. Again, First John, it tells us there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he whose fear has not been made perfect in love. So we pray, Lord, help us to be filled with your perfect love. We do pray for those who are sick, that they would look 
to Jesus. Look to the one who bore our sins and by whose stripes we are healed. And that the prayer of faith would heal, it would save, it would raise up those who need a touch from our Father. Lord, we pray and ask you go out throughout this nation. Raise up, bring forth healing, God in your people, in those that are there in the hospitals. We also want to pray for the doctors and nurses, so many that are working so hard that, that you would watch over them, you would protect them, Lord, that they are being used by you to bring comfort and healing to those that are sick. Would you keep them safe? from harm. Lord, would you be with their families as well? Would you watch over them and keep them safe? Father, as well, we want to pray for those who are doing the research for a cure. Would you, Father, give them wisdom and guidance, we pray. They would follow your instruction, which says, if, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally to all without reproach, and it will be given to them. Lord, would you please give wisdom give understanding to all those who need it. And Lord, would you, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, be with those who have lost loved ones? Would you be their comfort during this radically difficult time? Would your people truly turn to you, the one who was lifted up on the cross, and find healing, find hope, find life, and find peace? We thank you, Lord, that we can cry out to you. Thank you, you are the God that hears. Help us trust you and look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God of miracles come We need your supernatural love To break through Nothing's impossible Cause you're the God of miracles Sing that again Oh God of miracles come We need your supernatural love To break through Nothing's impossible For you're the God of miracles Yes, you're the God of miracles Yes, you're the God of miracles Let's pray for the finances and then um, the families Master, we come as your servants we understand that unless you give Lord um, we, we have nothing everything that we have the clothes on our back the shoes on our feet the, the homes we live in the food on our table you've given that to us Lord God there are many families in this nation in this church who have suffered a, a big financial loss. There are some who've lost their jobs and they don't know what's going to happen next month, next week, tomorrow. They don't know how the rent is going to get paid, how the car is going to get fixed, how they're going to get medication. But God, your word says, as we place our trust in you, 
we will not be ashamed. So Jesus, would you do what you do best? Would you be Lord over the situations? Would you right now, God, visit those families where there's no food in the house, where their, their bank account is zero? Would you be in the midst of their sorrow? God, your word says that perfect love takes away the fear. Lord, I pray that your love will be palpable in those families, Lord. Your love would be real in those situations. That your word, God, would be real. Not just words on a page. It would be you, Father. God, we pray for those who stay up at night wondering what's next. Would you meet them in the night watches? Would you instill in their hearts and their minds a song of worship to their God? Just like when Peter and Paul were in jail, in the midst of that craziness, in the midst of them feeling hopeless, as they raised songs of worship to you, you, God, opened the doors. God, would you do the same? God, for the families, I think of the kids, um, no school and parents needing to take care of them, Lord, um, and how frustrating that can be. God, I pray that you would give the moms, the dads, whoever is caring for the kids, this, this love for the kids, this understanding that the kids don't know what's going on and they may not be acting the same. They may, may be, uh, things aren't the same. So I pray that they would find stability in the love that mom and dad has for them. God, there are some who are living in situations that are, are at best tenuous. There are some who are living in situations that are possibly um, violent. God, would you be the God of peace? Would you be the repairer of the breach? Would you, God, protect those who need protecting? Father, we pray that you would give the parents the ability to lead their children spiritually. That by your Holy Spirit, God, you would give them wisdom. You would give them discernment. You would give them understanding as, how, as to how to lead the children to the throne of grace, Lord. Father, for those who have no family, for those who are just at home and because of the situation that they're in, they can't go out, they, they have had uh, um, human touch for a while, God, would you, would you minister to them? Would you be all that they need, Father, today? Father, we're so thankful that we can come and lay our burdens at your feet. And then we can turn our back and walk away knowing that you will work. So God, we worship you even in this place of uncertainty. We know that you are God and that you change not. Father, we pray this believing in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. Yes, I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock, forever.
sing it again. I will love Yes, I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord, my shield. And I will love you, Lord, my rock. Forever, all my days, I will love you, God. Yeah, at this time, we want to uh, lift up missionaries all around the world to, to bring to the Lord churches and pastors and, and those that have gone out uh, to be used of the Lord. So church, let's, let's pray. Thank you, God, that your word says to keep asking and we'll receive, to keep seeking and we'll find, to keep knocking and the door will be open. So that's what we're doing here tonight, God. We believe you and we don't believe nothing else other than you. And so you've called us to trust you. So we want to lift up every single missionary across this globe from Europe to Central and South America to Asia to Africa to the other most parts, God. Where the highest heights or the deepest valleys, God, for that jungle there in Central America to the deserts of Africa, Lord, you know them. And God, thank you that you've provided for us that we could provide for those missionaries, Lord. The gift you've given us, we give to them that they might be used, that you would take care of them, Lord. And that we support them and we know them, God, but we know there's so many more that we don't know. But you know them, God. You know their name. You know exactly where they're at in this world. And so we pray right now, God, that you would give them a holy boldness to speak, to share, to love, to shine, God, that they would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what the opposition looks like, whether it be religion or disease, whether it be conflict or COVID, we know, God, you are greater. And so we pray now for every single missionary, God. You know them. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide for their very needs, God. Their daily provision, their resources, God. I pray right now, Lord, that you would multiply Bibles everywhere, God. That people would read. And if not re read, they would hear the word of God. Because we know faith comes by hearing, God, hearing the word of God. So we pray even now, God, that you will protect these missionaries, protect these pastors, protect these churches across the globe as some aren't able to even meet God. Thank you for the privilege that we've been able to broadcast the gospel. But we know there's various areas that don't have these amenities that don't have Wi-Fi and video. We pray for those believers right now that are secluded, that are sequestered, that can't go to their local church in that village, God. Holy Spirit, speak to them. Put a song in their mouth, Lord. Show them that you are real, that you were real before this. You're real now, and you will be absolutely real even after this. God, we pray even now that they would sense your presence, Lord. I pray for any missionary that's out in the field, in his home or behind bars, uh, prison bars, God, that you would embrace them with your everlasting love, God, that they would know that they're not alone. They would know that you are with them. 
And so we also pray, God, that you would just anoint them with the power of the Holy Spirit, God. No longer a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, God. That you would place within their mouth the words to speak. The eyes of the blind would be open and the lame would walk. And we do pray for the God of miracles, for miracles all across this earth, Lord, knowing that it's not medicine, knowing it's not intellect, knowing that it's God, knowing that it's you, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up. So thank you, God. And I pray even for us here at home, God, send us across the street or across the world, Lord. I pray for the missionaries here in South Bay, the missionaries that you've called us to be in in our state, in our neighborhood, God. Stir within us a desire to shine ever brighter in this dark world, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, said to go. Show us where to go, God. You're absolutely amazing. And so we just thank you. May we never lose the wonder of our Christ, of our Lord, God. We thank you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Sing Jesus. In Jesus, so worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. You're the Son of God, amen. You are sing Jesus so worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us you're the Son of God and man you are high and lifted up and all the world will praise your great name your great name your great you of God's faithfulness as we've gone through these last it's almost been two months already these last nearly eight weeks God has been so incredible faith incredibly faithful to this ministry and as Pastor Dennis is speaking of all of our missionaries and the things that uh, we've been involved in for years here in this church not one of them has gone without during this time. Your faithful giving has provided more than enough resources for us to continue to take care of every single missionary that we had before this started. Every one of them has been taken care of during this time. The church is well, the staff is well. Our whole staff is still ready and chomping at the bit to get back to ministry. We can't wait until our voices are raised in song in this sanctuary. It is true that that is our desire, that is our wish. And I want to just encourage you during this storm that Jesus surely knew about during this flood that 
uh, has not overtaken us. During what the prophet Isaiah said as he wrote of Jacob and Israel who God had formed, reminding us that we are the redeemed of the Lord. When you pass through the waters in Isaiah 43, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. And therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. For fear not, I am with you. The Lord is with us. He's got a plan. And when we look back on this time, we're going to say the Lord was mighty. The Lord was wonderful. The Lord was glorious. The Lord provided for our every need. The Lord indeed was exactly who he said he would be. And so don't let tonight, as we pray to close, be the end of your knocking on the door of heaven. Maybe this time will stimulate your prayer life, that you would wake up and see that the hour is short, the time is near, that the trumpet may well sound, and that we might be home in heaven soon. So let's make this time count for the King and for his kingdom. Would you join me and we'll close in prayer and we'll sing a chorus. Father, we have come as your children. Lord, we sit at your feet and we look up at your face and we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father, save us. Lord, we cry, Hosanna, save us now. Lord, you've saved our souls. Now save our nation, our world, those who are sick. We worship you, Jesus. You're the only real cure. Every man who walks this earth right now will one day take his last breath. But if we have believed in you, though we shall die, we shall surely live. You are the cure to every disease, every sickness. Everything that ails mankind, you, Jesus, are the answer, and we turn our eyes to heaven. And we say, thank you, Lord. Would salvation come to this world? Would you set this world on a collision course with the gospel? We ask all this in the mighty name of the one true King, the only Savior, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship, church. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Let's sing it with faith. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns.
you guys. Uh, We will see you on Sunday, church. Go knowing that the Lord is in control. Amen. God bless you.